In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. And welcome into a brand new edition of Franchise Players. New season, new opening theme, new everything. Same host, Desmond Johnson, here with you every Friday afternoon across a multitude of different platforms, terrestrial radio, YouTube, uh, Spotify, you name it, you can find it. Uh, usually about 5 o'clock on WWBG, 1470 AM over in the Guilford County area. And of course on WTOB, the Forsyth County area at 6 PM, right before high school football. Loaded show today, we've got uh, a lot of stuff to cover. It's the opening weekend of the NFL season. College football week two is here. Uh, so we'll get into all of that and more. But first, I wanted to bring in my first guest. He is the content director for Barrett Sports Media and got a lot of other stuff going on as well. Good friend of the program, Dimitri Ravenos in the house. What's going on, Dimitri? How you doing, brother? I'm good, Des. Uh, happy new season to you. Finally. It's finally here. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy, too, because I, I was off from like all these different shows and podcasts and stuff that I'm on. And I was like, I got to have like at least a month or two just to recharge. Right. And I didn't think about it, but all of my stuff happened. It all came back the same week. <laughs> so like yeah. every, high school football, the shows, the podcast, like everything all started again around the same week. Uh, so I'm just running around like crazy. But I know you are, too. So you can relate to it. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, stopping for a few minutes to talk. I, people know me. They know I'm not even that big of a college football fan, probably because I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel. Uh, so I don't <laughs> really get into it as deeply <laughs> as everyone else does. But this year in particular, there's a couple of things that are going on that caught my eye. And I wanted to kind of bring them up to you. I know you're deep SEC in terms of uh, your followership, but you also follow all the college football as well. I don't want to hit all. I was about to say proof positive. I am uh, wearing traditional <laughs> Big 12 member uh, Arizona State today. <laughs> are they still Big 12? We'll get into that in a little bit as well, too. Yeah. There's a whole lot of movement and stuff going on, especially <laughs> ACC. Um, but first, though, I know you you were telling me you're writing a, um, an article right now that will be out here soon regarding the situation with ESPN and Spectrum. And it didn't affect me because I, I unplugged uh, – I cut the cord, wow, maybe eight, nine years ago. So mm. like I have like a array of like sling to get to my ESPN, and then I've got – uh, digital antenna. I always watch NFL live anyway, so I always just watch it off of digital antenna. It's the same thing. So I, I'll watch uh, that off of there. Uh, I mainly get my stuff like from TNT and stuff through my Sling account, uh, but I left all that behind. Uh, so I haven't had cable in a while. And from my understanding, uh, there's a lot of mad spectrum uh, customers right now because they are in a, uh, a, a war of words between them and ESPN. Can you give us the latest on what's happening with this and uh, is there going to be a good outcome here for Spectrum? Yeah. So, so first of all, uh, I do have to tell everybody, and I'm, I'm sorry to blow your cover if I'm doing this, Des, but in order for you guys to understand, we are recording this Thursday afternoon. And the reason I've got to tell you that is because literally as we are recording, uh, Charter, the company that owns Spectrum, their CEO just got off the stage at a Goldman Sachs conference in San Francisco and said, yeah, I'm not worried about getting a deal done with Disney. Cause, cause remember Spectrum's not, they haven't just lost ESPN. They've lost uh, FX. They've lost free They've lost all the Disney networks, all right? And they're half the thing. <laughs> right. And their position is uh, that the longer this drags on, the fewer of the remaining customers are going to be sports fans. And if Disney thinks ESPN is what's going to solve this, uh, this standoff, 
it's not because there's a whole bunch of people. And I know this is hard for us, both you and I, Des, and anybody listening to fathom, but there are a whole bunch of people that don't really care that it's college football season right now or, or NFL season or whatever the case may be. You know, I will say this, you being in the triad, me being in the triangle, I think we forget this sometimes because media is so different now that it was when you and I were growing up. But as it comes to traditional cable networks or cable services, you still wouldn't be affected by this, even if you had cable because Spectrum, because North Carolina is all Time Warner, right? Or, or whatever Time yeah. Warner is called now. Well, well, um, it's Spectrum. It's Spectrum. Yeah. It's Spectrum. It's a Spectrum. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Charter is Charter. who the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Charter and Spectrum merged right so it would be yeah Jesus like these mergers happen so often I forget who has what now <laughs> so disregard everything I just said about not being affected but here's the point Charter and Spectrum when they merge it is so big now right they have 14 million subscribers across the country uh, that is 20 percent of anybody subscribed to ESPN cannot see ESPN right now that's crazy that's insane but I would be very upset with the uh, spectrum. But then again, I, I did see that ESPN, um, they're kind of talking more and more. They're finally moving over more to the over the top type model, you know, paying directly through what ESPN. Yeah. Would, get it that way, which, which is I would prefer, you know. Yeah. And, and it's exactly what Desmond just described. Like ESPN would be an app, basically. Uh, and that is where all your college football would be. It's where your Monday night football would be. Et cetera, et cetera. Now, just as recently as a month ago, they were talking about you could have it as an app or the linear cable channel. I kind of wonder if this doesn't speed along uh, a plan to make ESPN solely an app yeah. going forward. ESPN all along had been talking about 25 or 26 before the original plan was even available as an app. So who's to say now, like Disney's got a lot of money, right? Who's to say now they don't take any money that was going to go to the theme parks, was going to go to the movie studio, it's going to go to any of these other divisions of the company and say, from now on, your only job is getting ESPN ready to be an over-the-top product by the end of 2024. It just makes sense. And I feel like I've gone through this in this medium. Um, I used to work for a prominent uh, newspaper cluster here in the triad as a digital sales manager. Uh, so I basically kind of saw the digital aspect basically coming around the corner and, and waving the and trying to warn them, hey, <laughs> you guys got to switch off of just print. Like, this is not going to last. This is 2016. This is mm -hmm. not going to last. Like, you, I could see it coming. And they refused because they were still getting, you know, two grand for a full page color ad on a Wednesday in the, in the paper in 2016. They didn't think the money was ever going to dry up. It dried up. And now these papers yeah. are starting to like, oh, what do we do? It's 2023 now. You're behind. <laughs> you know, like if you weren't in it to begin with. And that's what it feels like. ESPN's at that crossroads where they're like, do we really need yeah. cable or, or not? Because most people are trying to find a way around cable and still keep ESPN. ESPN is probably one of the few channels where I'll pay HBO, ESPN, I'll pay directly to you. So I have access to it. Like, Well, here's the thing, Des, and this is what Disney is banking on. And I don't think they're wrong. I just think they might be misunderstanding or misestimating the size of that audience, right, is that when it comes to television, the pandemic sped along what was already a trend of, I don't care about your schedule, I'm on my schedule, right? right. Yeah. And the only things we prioritize, we as an audience prioritize to watch live are sports and not even news, but specifically election coverage. You only get one of those that matters every four years to most Americans, two to some, but sports, you know, you, you have that year round. ESPN is valuable. Fox Sports 1 is valuable. Whoever has live game rights 
um, is valuable. It just may not be as valuable to as big of an audience as ESPN or, you know, Fox or whoever is banking on because, you know, for all of the people that think this is a go woke, go broke thing for Disney, I'm telling you, it's going to happen to Fox too. It's going to happen to to the universal networks, which are NBC. It, it's going to happen to anybody that prioritizes live programming when their negotiations come up. Follow him on Twitter at Dimitri Ravanos, uh, Barrett Sports Media Content Director, Dimitri Ravanos, on with us right now. I'm grilling him a little bit about some college football questions I had because uh, there's there's all kinds of different things going on going into the season as we enter week two. Before we get into the games, and of course, you know, we got to talk about Coach Prime. Um, ACC, <laughs> ACC expansion. I didn't get a chance. To, I talked about it a yeah. little last week with David Glenn as it was pretty fresh. Uh, now that the dust has kind of settled and we know that Cal and Stanford and SMU are coming over to the ACC starting next year. Good decision, bad decision from the ACC, in your opinion? Because on oh, one hand, terrible decision. Okay, here we no, go. There is, there is no one one in. This is a dumb decision. And, and this is the thing that, like, I think I look at this a little bit differently because, look, I've been in the triangle now since 05, right? 18 years. I am a North Carolinian. I'm not an ACC guy. Like, ACC people, you need to wake up. Your conference is irrelevant. It's going to go away. There's nothing that can save it. You've got bad teams and everything. You don't have enough brands across the board. I they think that week. they've had a great week in college football last week. They beat a couple SEC teams. Like, no, I, and, and listen, I, I cannot say they did not have a good week. Now go make up for the previous 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is, and look, this is, this is something I think people don't really like you and I does think about things this way because we are in the business, right? If you right. are just looking at ACC football and saying, well, Clemson won a couple of national championships. They're valuable to the SEC, or the ACC should be able to build around that. Like, no, dog, the Clemson fan base goes from uh, Greenville, South Carolina, all the way up to Spartanburg, South Carolina, <laughs> be it, right? Like, whenever we get this next iteration of college sports, whether it is the ACC building something, or I'm sorry, I should say any conference building something football independent or the Big Ten and the SEC breaking away and becoming the AFC and the NFC of college football. If you look at the ACC landscape, you got to think about who are the national brands. And I'm sorry, there are just two of them. It's Duke and UNC, and it's for basketball. And I think that is kind of, if you are the SEC, that's kind of what you're looking at. You're thinking, okay, we've got this super valuable property to ESPN in the fall. How do we extend that to make it a year-round kind of thing? Um, obviously, culturally, I will give you this 100% every day of the week. Culturally, UNC and Duke fit better in the Big Ten. That is absolutely true. But yeah. cultural and academic reasons are the dumbest reasons to build a conference. You have to think about what helps our fiscal health. And, and I don't think the ACC did that, adding Cal, Stanford, and SMU. What do any of them add? See, it, really, to me, it's more of a not what they add, but it was more about keeping – them together keeping the league together even though technically and i've talked to david glenn about this a billion times and he's the legal mind i trust when it comes to this kind of sports contract sure. stuff. nobody was leaving like florida state was banging the pans hey we want to go we want to go what's the difference between what florida state was doing and what texas oklahoma usc ucla oregon when these when these teams left when these schools left they just left <laughs> they didn't cry right. about well, it and whine and then finally and here's the other thing like the yeah. Here's the other thing, too. Both the Pac-12 and the Big 12 were right at the end of their media deals when those uh, things were happening. The, the ACC, look, this 
I, I said this in a video I put out recently, like Florida State is now paying for a decision that Bobby Bowden made way back in 1990, because when the SEC decided we're going to go from 10 teams to 12 teams and take advantage of this rule that lets us have a conference championship game, who did they call first? They called Bobby Bowden. And Bobby Bowden was not ashamed to say, I cannot build what I want to build if I have to play Alabama and Auburn every year. So credit him for his honesty, but blame him for the position you're in, right? Like, so... So there are two things I want to point out here, Des, and I think they are really important for ACC fans to understand. Um, not only were those teams at the end of their conferences media deals, but what do USC, Oklahoma, Texas, and Oregon have in common? Now, UCLA and Washington get to come along for the ride. But those other four teams are national brands. I'm sorry, Florida State is not a national brand. Clemson is not a national brand. You don't add your most likely suitor, the SEC, you don't give them anything they don't already have in droves. Which is why they didn't call. Like, nobody called Florida yeah. State. You know, when Florida State's putting out the smoke signal, hey, we want to go elsewhere, the Big 12 didn't call, the Big 10 didn't call, the SEC, nobody called because... Well, they got arrogant, right? Like, if, yeah. the, if the Big 12 had called, they wouldn't have taken the call. Like, your best option if you leave the ACC, if you are Florida State or Clemson, and people think I'm nuts when I say this, but I mean it, your best option is the American. I hope you're happy. Or independent. I mean, honestly, like if they could figure out a way to do this the way Notre Dame has done it, because really all the centers around Notre Dame with ACC to me, if Notre Dame eventually came in for football, the whole thing changes, but they'll never come in as long as they've got a yeah. deal of their own. So we're kind of just stuck here. And Notre Dame is the one that wanted Cal and Stanford <laughs> to be put in the ACC. They're not even a, they're not even a football full fledged member yet. They have voting ability. So all that screwed up, but I want to, I want to go real quick around the actual uh, landscape here um, from last week going into this week. More impressive in your mind, Colorado beating TCU on the road with the, basically a, a team built in the portal over the past three months and, and Coach Prime's uh, mm -hmm. conference, or FSU beating LSU uh, on Monday night? Which one was more impressive to you? More impressive FSU, more shocking Colorado. Uh, Florida State looks like a national championship caliber team. They, they do, and I thought from – uh, in the preseason, they were one of my picks for the playoff. I, I might now reconsider them as, you know, the team that might get the honor of going and getting blown out by Georgia in the national championship <laughs> game. But they, they handled their business against LSU. They looked really good. And Jordan Travis, who uh, – I, what I'm so impressed by with Travis is each year he has looked better than the year before. And going, and this might be one of the best games quality-wise he's put together in terms of who it is they were playing. Yeah, I'll give you this. I, I did not expect Dion to be able to beat TCU. I did not expect Colorado to be able to beat TCU. Everybody that is getting credit there, Shadur Sanders, Travis, uh, Travis um, Hunter, they, they both deserve credit. Even Shiloh Sanders had a really good game, too. All those guys deserve credit. Dion deserves credit. But we cannot overlook that going back to last year when they played for a national championship, uh, which everyone knew but TCU, apparently. <laughs> TCU TCU can't tackle. TCU's an awful defensive team. So I don't want to take anything away from Colorado at all. They earned all the praise they are getting this week. But I don't know how much we know about them. It's going to be really interesting this week to watch them play Nebraska because when Nebraska is on offense, you know how we talk about strength versus strength in the NFL? 
Yeah. This is going to be deficiency versus deficiency. It's going to be like painful watching those two sides of the ball play against each other. I just, I love it because of all the Panther stuff I have to do. We've got this date circle now automatically because Matt Rule is the coach in Nebraska. And for right. whatever reason, no matter what question he's asked, he figures out a way to put Panthers in there somehow. And like, we're. Can I, uh, can I, uh, plug, can I plug my podcast real quick? Yeah, yeah do it. <laughs> So Lauren Brownlow and I are doing a show called Young Gun, a Carolina Panthers podcast about Bryce Young. And even though it is all about the new era of the team, and the hook is I went to Alabama. Lauren is a huge Panthers fan. Like there it is. All of last week's episode was about Lauren being so happy to watch Matt rule Matt rule away the game. And it's going to happen a lot with Nebraska this year. And it's not even necessarily just because Rule is kind of a quirky dude in terms of his decisions. Like. Nebraska wasn't bad just because of Scott Frost. I've got bad news for everybody. <laughs> and, he, and Matt Rule is not this like dude that has been painted out to be like this this uh, savior of programs in college football. He yeah, he had two great seasons: one at Baylor and one at Temple. Like, and, and so here's the thing: a hundred plus million dollars. <laughs> so yeah, and, and listen, here's the thing, and this ties right into the Panthers because when the Panthers hired him. I really, Des, I, I said this on our podcast this week. I wish I could remember who it was that said this because I think they should have to own up to it for the rest of their lives. When they hired Matt Rule, they said something to the effect of when you consider what Matt Rule did at Temple and what he did at Baylor and what the standard is at those places. This was their quote. Isn't that more impressive than what Nick Saban did this year at Alabama? Wow. And it's like, get the fudge out of here. Yeah, like, that is, that, is. <laughs> that is insanity. Like, I, I get it. He is a good builder of programs. He really is. Like, on the college level, Matt Rule can build a program. You have to give him that. But if you are starting from nothing, like, going to one is building a program. Yeah. I mean, tr- I mean, he tried to do that here in Carolina. He basically tried to instill his college stuff here. He literally was touching everything, including the – But you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, but you can't you can't do that on the NFL level. Like Nick Saban learned at Miami, and, and this was uh, in, man. I wish I could remember who it is that wrote this long piece for Vanity Fair about Nick Saban going back to college football. But Saban talks openly about he learned there are things there are the molder of men things you cannot do as an NFL head coach because these are men. Yeah. This isn't a business. This yeah. isn't a learning. They drove up in a car with a cart seat in the back. Like they've got more. They make, make more money than you. Yeah, yeah, they're making more money than you. <laughs> so <laughs> you're trying to tell them to go run, run hills and touch the scoreboard because you you fumbled uh, two weeks ago or whatever. So I don't know. Oh, shout out Dabo. I, I will. I will see though, and we're, I'm about to get to Dabo right now. Uh, <laughs> out of here. Uh, I will say this though regarding Colorado. I have not felt a buzz like this because I'm I'm kind of a casual college football fan. If, if I know it's yeah. a game or something, I'm a popping on. I'm gonna watch it. I have not felt this buzz towards a team this week since 05, 04 USC where like it's pulling in. You know what I mean? It's pulling in. And like I left the house the first quarter and I forgot it was on. I was leaving to go, I think DoorDash or do something random during Saturday. And I saw it was on. I was like, Oh, this, you know, Dion, Colorado, let me check them out. I left thinking, well, I'll just hear it in the car. Forgot about it for like an hour or so. Something told me in my head about halfway through that game. I need to find that game and see what's going on. Found it on Doug sports. And listened from the third quarter on and was just entranced by it. Like it was one of those back and forth, fun games, gunslinging. Uh, when the announcer was like, Shadur Sanders, Sanders just crossed 500 yards. Like I literally almost wrecked my car. Like I was like, what is going yeah. on? <laughs> like, it's no, it's right. funny. I, I talked to Kirk Herbstreit from ESPN yesterday and we were talking about some of the reaction to Gus Johnson, because I've seen online some people like, hey, it's pretty obvious you're rooting for Colorado guy. Calm down. Right. <laughs> and Kirk Herbstreit's point was like, 
look, you're never rooting for a team, but you also know, like, if you're Gus, if you're him, if you're anybody that's done a high-profile matchup, you've earned this by doing your share of 45 to three games, right? And if you're doing a game like that, try not to get excited. Like, yeah, that was an awesome game. I think two things to your point, Des, about not being entranced by a team the way this one does. First of all, um, you've never had a celebrity coach college football before. And that's what Dion is. Like, and that's not a shot at Dion. Good for him, man. He's built a brand that 18 and 19 year old talented college football players, white or black, are responding to. Dude, that's that's not a shot. Calling him a celebrity is not a shot the way some people want to say it is. The other part of this is we are in this moment of absolute ground shifting underneath our feet in this sport. And this looks like revolution. It looks like revolution because you've got to remember, and I don't know if you know this because you're a college, a casual college football fan. The numbers from last year say that Colorado was not just the worst power five team in the conference. Last year's Colorado team is one of the worst power five college football teams in history. In history, so <laughs> not only one in eleven. Like if you looked at them when they uh, hit the line of scrimmage, dude, they were so much smaller than everybody else. And that's why a lot of people have some doubt. Is along the defensive line, they still look smaller than everybody else. So I, I want to buy in. I want Dion to succeed there. I, I will tell you that before the year began, I was saying three and nine. They should be really happy with that this year. I don't think they're going to make a bowl, but five and seven seems reasonable. Well, well, I mean, I think we'll we'll know a little bit more after this week uh, how they handle the pressure and everything going into this because it's going to be another big noon kickoff on uh, on uh, uh, Fox, Fox uh, yeah. on Nebraska uh, at noon. Real quick before I get you out of here, though, I couldn't get us out of here without talking about Dabo and Clemson a little bit here because I'm, <laughs> I'm a little concerned. Um, <laughs> Clemson doesn't feel like they're Clemsoning right anymore. Like they're going back to Clemsoning where they're losing. I was about to say they're going back to Clemsoning, right? Um, like, I, is the, is I think it's what... over. Is it over? Yeah. Yeah, of course it's up. Okay, like, they can't even win the ACC regularly anymore. Um, looking at like, this doesn't feel like Cle- – they can't score. Yeah. They can't score. But, but here's the thing. All right, here's the thing, and I'm glad you said that because I think this is really important. Like, let's celebrate the dynasty for what it was, right? Like, let's, let's give Dabo credit, Dabo and his team credit for what he did because I can tell you exactly what the problem is, and it was the problem the whole time. Dabo can't develop anybody. Dabo and his coordinators can't develop anybody. And I know people love to point to Hunter Renfro and say he took that kid from a walk-on to uh, a legitimate NFL prospect. And that's true. But maybe we're dismissing how much of that was about Hunter Renfro and not about Dabo, right? Like, yeah, I mean, like his best team, Dabo's very best team was the 2018 national championship team. And what did that team have? That team had an all-world quarterback, had all-world wide receivers, had an all-world defensive line. Like, you know, we can talk about development all we want because I know people hate to hear this from us hardcore college football fans. Those stars ain't meaningless, right? There's a reason kids get ranked in recruiting, and there's a reason that teams like Alabama and Georgia that have the most of them end up playing in January more often than everyone else. Well, that's the thing that's confusing me about Clemson too, because they're still they're still getting these top classes. It's just that they're not. I guess the players in them aren't the same level. You know, just like in the no, no, the it's, high it's basketball. It's going to be there's some classes are going to be lower than others, and you're going to have four or five star sure. guys in there, but they're not going to be as good as like the class that had like Zion Williamson in it or whatever. So, so, so what is happening? What really is happening is the rankings are staying the same. But the number of guys going to those top three programs, Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, is just – there's so much of a gap between them and number four now. They didn't exist even five years ago. I'll put this out there, too. 
Dabo's refusal to use the transfer portal ridiculous is the downfall of Clemson football. I, I will I will tell you this. Realize this here real soon. I, I will tell you this as a as someone who's very very vested in the uh, in the success of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Dabo and my shared alma mater, by the way, his refusal to embrace the transfer portal has cost him ever being considered a candidate for that job. Yeah, like if, if there's a path to make you better and you refuse to embrace it on principle, I'm sorry, you're not here for big boy football. And that's the that was the thing for me, the crux of this weekend. The two the two opposites. Dion having the success on a national level with a team that was built in the portal, basically. Dude, Florida State football. was built in the portal. Florida State was built in the portal. All these schools that are doing really well, they went in and, and got dudes for the deficiencies they had on the roster, except for Clemson. And Clemson is the only one where it felt like Dabo was like, you know. We'll just make it through. We, we believe that, you know, <laughs> we can get through it and everything. And I feel like this is going to be a down year for Clemson, I feel like. Because uh, yeah. someone was telling me, and I got to get you out of here. Somebody was telling me that, uh, oh, well, uh, Clemson just had a couple mistakes. You know, they'll figure it out, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, you are not a top 10 team and have four turnovers in the red zone. Like, I don't care if you're playing Duke. I don't care who it is. Like, you can't, Dude, like, you can't have two I heard, field goals and a, a, two fumbles. <laughs> within yeah, the- I heard Stephen Godfrey, who writes for the Washington Post, say this today. Like, did Clemson make mistakes? Yeah. But when you lose by 21, one or two mistakes is not what cost you that game. You got flat beat. Yeah, you got beat. So, and, yeah. and Duke, <laughs> and Duke, shout out to Mike Elko. He's he's doing a good job in terms of. Elko's a good coach. Leonard's a good quarterback. Like, he, there's quality for Duke. But look, you grew up in North Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, okay. So you growing up in North Carolina, 05, the year I got to North Carolina, Duke was in a federal court trying to prove you could not be as bad at football as they were. Do you remember that when they took Louisville to court about uh, canceling their college for their uh, home and home series? Like, that's how far Duke has come. It it is crazy, too, because really, Duke, Carolina, and NC State, and Wake Forest, the big four here, they recruit heavy in this area in the tribe. Winston-Salem, Greensboro, High Point. I do a lot of high school football stuff in the area, too. So I see a lot of kids that I deal with during the season go off to Wake and Carolina and State and Duke, especially Duke. Now, the past couple of years, uh, my alma mater sent a few guys there. So uh, we'll keep on all that. Real quick, before I get you out of here, just give me a quick score. Number three, Alabama. Number 11, Texas. What you got? Uh, so I'm going opposite of a lot of people. I think you're looking at something like 28 to 24 Alabama. I think Alabama wants to be a little more groundy and poundy than they've been the last few years. And, dude, like, I'm as surprised we got the Jalen Milrow that we got on Saturday as anybody else. But I think the strength of a guy like Jalen Milrow, who has a cannon, is also the fastest dude on the field. And if you want to keep the ball on the ground, man, you've just gotten yourself another option, right? And so Alabama's going to try and have some long clock-draining drives. Uh, and I think that's why the score stays a little bit lower than some people are thinking. Man, I feel like whenever I get on with Dimitri, we can talk for two hours about sports. Just, <laughs> you're just chilling. We can have a couple drinks and just like talk about everything. I'm definitely going to bring you back. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at Dimitri Robinos. He's got a whole mess of stuff going on. Currently the content director over at Barrett Sports Media and a whole lot more. Uh, appreciate you coming through, Dimitri. Yeah, uh, everyone, if you don't mind, uh, if you're on TikTok, College Football Bubble Bath is where oh, I do all of my, I love it. my college I, football I, nonsense. I, I randomly would scroll through. I was like, what is this? And I start watching. I was like, I love this. This is Yeah, crazy. college football fans have seen more of my hairy chest and tattoos than they ever counted on. <laughs> Coming up in just a bit, Brian Giffen from uh, from the Marietta Herald will be on to talk to us about Panthers and Falcons. Plus, the voice of North Carolina A&T, Donald Ware, will be with me to talk about the Aggie Eagle Classic that's going to be going on here in charlotte on saturday night as you can hear right here on tobacco road sports radio.com we'll be back in just a bit more franchise players
Franchise players are often referred to as the face of the franchise. Welcome back into Franchise Players here on WWBG 1470 AM and Radio.com. Don't forget you can catch this every Friday evening at 6 p.m. in Forsyth County uh, in North Carolina on WTOB 96.7 FM, 980 AM as well. Uh, we'll get you lead right into 7 o'clock kickoffs for the high school football game of the week. This week, North Davidson traveling to Walkertown. We'll have that coverage for you. Mike Fanning and Chase Williams on the call there. Uh, we'll be at Walkertown here in just a little bit. A lot of stuff going on this weekend. It's uh, officially the second week of uh, college football season. But if you live anywhere around North Carolina Central or North Carolina A&T, this is the week for the Aggie Eagle Classic. And who better to have on to get us revved up and ready to go for that, which we'll also have on Tobacco Road Sports Radio Saturday, uh, than none other than the voice of North Carolina A&T, Mr. Donald Ware. What's going on, Donald? What's up, Dez? Glad to be in the franchise players, man. I love the name. Man, it, I feel like I love this time of the year because I know I'm going to see you once a week because we see each other every Monday when we do the uh, the North Carolina Anti-Coaches show, uh, which you can hear throughout the week on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. And it runs on uh, WKW The Light, 1400 AM and 103.5 FM every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Uh, I'll give the details for where else you can find the game on Saturday as well. So I know I'm going to see you Monday and we, we usually talk and kind of plot and scheme on how we want to do the game or whatnot. And then uh, we get the game day. Uh, we get our pregame stuff together. Then it's you, me, well, me producing, you, Al Swan, uh, Billy Covington, I believe. Is he still with us here? So he'll be with us in the home game. So, uh, you know, the crew is back together. We've been actually doing this now for our third year doing this together, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, just excited to be a part of it. And it gives me a chance. I love going over to Auntie's campus every Monday and just just being there. You can talk about it, but there's something about being on campus and actually being around those kids and the faculty, the alumni that come back to – listen to these coaches shows and the press conferences and everything. It's a, it's a big deal. I wanted you, cause you've been, how many years now have you been uh, announcing for A&T for the radio for football? Seven season. When you exclude, of course, the COVID year. COVID year. So I thought that was like seven or eight years. Okay. So this is your seventh year here. Why, why is this game circled on the A&T athletic calendar Along with Jiho, of course, that's a whole other conversation, but <laughs> yeah. this, this one, I noticed it Monday when we were doing the, um, the coaches show. And before that, we do the live press conference and we stream it uh, to Facebook and to uh, to the YouTube channel for A&T. And I noticed the comments coming in. All of them were literally, we got to beat Central this week. We got to beat Central. Like almost no choice. We got to beat Central this week. And Coach Brown basically started off his press conference with, I know we got to beat Central this week. Like it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the main thing. What, what, what in your mind, why is this game circled along with Jiho on the A&T football calendar every year? Well, it's the Aggie Eagle. I mean, it's it's one the 100th year of this rivalry goes all the way back to 1924. And talking with Al Swan, uh, you know, of course, my, my my broadcast partner. I mean, they used to play this thing at Wallace Wade Stadium. I mean, that's how big it was. And of course, Aggie Stadium was wasn't built until 1981. I'm not sure about uh, O'Kelly Riddick Stadium in Durham, but it's a big rivalry uh, between your two biggest HBCUs. Uh, in the state, I think it may mean a little bit more to the Aggie fan base this year in particular because we're in the CAA, so you only have a handful of HBCU games. Norfolk State's on the schedule, Central, of course, and then Hampton sort of by default because Hampton is also in the CAA. So I think that's why it's an even bigger deal. Uh, plus, I, I, 
I happen to think A&T is good. It's going to be good in the CAA. I've, I've heard other people say, well, we're in a tough conference. It's going to be a tough year. And maybe because this is a game that some may consider more winnable than once A&T gets into the conference, I think that's why there's even more excitement about this game this year. You know, it's crazy. I was look, I was putting the schedule into my Google Calendar today just so I had it, so I could see it wherever on my phone. I usually do it at the beginning of each year. And I was looking at the schedule, too, and I'm like, this, this is this is navigatable. We we can get through this. This is something where they should expect to win the majority of these games that they have on this schedule. Uh, just being a and T, uh, they kind of got to a point to me. I don't want to say they outgrew the MIAC, but the football program was starting to really dominate uh, the MIAC in terms of like those last four or five years they were there before they made the move. Now uh, they now I, I did find out. I did a little research on this. So this is actually the one hundred and first matchup between. Uh, the two largest HBCUs in the state, A&T, which is the largest HBCU on earth, and North Carolina Central, which is second uh, in size. Uh, they actually started playing in 1922, uh, and then they skipped 1923, and then they started playing in 24, and it became more annual. The, tw- the game in 22, from what I found online, uh, it wasn't called North Carolina Central back then. It was called like the uh North the, Carolina College for Negroes actually. something yeah it was yeah. or the Trader School or something that's yeah. how they found it in like old newspaper clippings or something from black newspapers so they whoever it was that wrote it up found out that they actually played in 1922 so they counted that along with that uh in this now I want to talk about the last three years that this A&T program has gone through um if we go all the way back this is 2023 if we go all the way back to 2020 that lost year where all the HBCUs decided they weren't going to play fall football and then basically didn't play in the spring. Well, they didn't play in the spring either when a lot of places were deciding to play. In this. It was a weird year. It, was. <laughs> it, was it weird really year. was. <laughs> and then uh, they they leave the MEAC right after that. And when they come back, they're in a different conference. They're in the Big South. And I, and I believe that's when I came on in 2021. And then they're in the Big South for two seasons, 21, yep. 22. And they leave that to go to an even bigger conference in the CAA. You've been here the entire time while they've been doing all these moves through COVID and everything else. Uh, give me a little bit about the the past three years and what it's been like covering this team and, and calling the games for this team. Because you've seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in terms of success on the field. Uh, we've seen regime changes. We've seen uh, players coming in and out because they changed the rules with like the portal and things of that sort in that period of time. Talk to me a little bit about how it's been to cover A&T over these three years where they've literally been in three different conferences in the past three seasons. Yeah, it's 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 no, it's been great though. That's the thing about it. Like you go back to the 19th season, you mentioned it winning that celebration bowl, uh, ending the decade, if you will, as the as the the best HBCU football wise um, on earth in 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 for all intents and purposes. Um, and then to your point, 20 because I know that AT really wanted to play. Like it it didn't, you know. And you're, you you made a good point when you talked about A&T. You, you alluded to it a little bit, being above the fray in the MEAC. Um, you know, that that may be true to some degree. When you look at A&T, uh, you look at what the football program has been able to accomplish. You look at it as being the, the biggest HBCU, the way that it's grown. Uh, it, it probably was time to move um, to a different conference. The Big South didn't work out because <laughs> most of the Big South programs left. That was the whole deal. <laughs> Being in the CAA, I think it's the perfect place because now you're talking about, this is about academics more than it's about athletics. And a from an academic standpoint, is absolutely outstanding. So now you're in a conference 
with the likes of all these schools, the Villanovas of the world and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's been an interesting three or four years, but it's been a good three or four years. Even if you look at last year, playing for the Big South Championship, didn't quite get it done, played for the championship. So I think Overall, and you look at track and field's been great. Women's basketball oh, yeah. was really good last year. Men's basketball was solid last year. Uh, so we're looking to see what football can do this year. And I think what helps, you don't play William & Mary, uh, who's uh, what top five in the FCS. You don't play New Hampshire, I think, who was coming in at number 11. So these are some winnable games and an opportunity for uh, the Aggies to get off on the right foot in the CAA. Follow him on Twitter uh, at DWare1, Donald Ware, voice of the North Carolina A&T Aggies. Uh, you can catch the A&T uh, football game versus Central, the Aggie Eagle Classic, right here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio uh, and a number of other places as well. 6.30 p.m. pregame, 7 o'clock kickoff. Uh, you can hear it on Sirius XM Radio on channel 386. You can hear it in the triad uh, on the light, 1400 AM, 103.5 FM, or just pull your phone out and go to Tobacco Road Sports Radio, hit that play button. You can listen to it anywhere in the world. So uh, we got you covered all which ways with that. And we're going to have a, a brand new feature. Go right now, if you're listening to this, if you're an Aggie fan, go to the North Carolina Anti-Athletics Facebook page, hit the follow button, hit the like button, or go to their YouTube channel by the same name and hit the subscribe button. And each football game this year, we're unveiling the post-post game show with Donald Ware and Al Swan. Uh, it's video and audio. It's interactive. You'll be able to ask questions to the crew uh, while they're still in the booth right after each game. I don't, we haven't really discussed how long it'll go. It really depends on how many people are in there and asking questions and, and whatnot. But you'll be able to interact with Al and uh, and, and uh, Donald and, and really voice your opinion about what's going on with the A&T football program, Aggie pride in terms of the win or things you want to see because of the law, whatever it might be. So look out for the post-post game show. It'll be on the North Carolina A&T Athletics Facebook page uh, exclusively and their YouTube channel right after the Aggie Eagle Classic uh, that'll kick off at seven o'clock on Saturday in Charlotte. Initial impressions of uh, head coach Vincent Brown, because we met him at the end of last year. Then we had to go through the summer. And now we've come back around where we're getting into a routine and we're kind of breaking him in, too. This is new to him in terms of yeah. what we do, like our regular weekly routine with the coaches show and everything else. So what are your thoughts on uh, Coach Brown so far? The Undertaker uh, as, he, <laughs> as he went by <laughs> his playing <Yes>. day. <laughs> Very impressed. I mean, he's he I think he shedded that Undertaker moniker because he's so calm, his demeanors, at least in the press conferences. And even, even like he said, you know, I'm not going to admonish coaches during the course of you know, of a football, of a football game. We're going to try to work it out if something doesn't go right and, and make it happen. So I, I, I love his demeanor. Um, you know, he's a Bill Parcells disciple. That's, that's first and foremost. Um, and I think that bodes well. He's been around. He knows uh, FCS. He knows the CAA uh, the previous four years as uh, the defensive coordinator at William & Mary. So I've been super impressed with him. Um, and he said all the right things, you know, I mean, he's, he, Listen, A&T passed the football only eight times last week. Yeah. But my thing is, and even like I suggested to him during the coaches show, yes, but some doesn't sometime what happens in a game dictate what you do. And the Aggies ran the football so well that they didn't need to pass the ball any more than the eight times uh, that they did. They weren't having success in the passing game. So he's saying all the right things. I've been super impressed with Coach Brown. And usually we see it in reverse uh, now in today's game where you'll see a team maybe only run it eight times or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're real pass happy and passing it around. The fact that they they saw something that worked and they stuck with it throughout 
I'm I'm fine with uh, their philosophy towards that or whatnot. Why switch it around? Because people say you need to be 50 50 or whatever. You know, it that's not necessarily true. You go with the ebb and flow of the game. So um, I am interested in this ball game and seeing how this turns out. I'm really uh, I think it's a, a early moment in the season for A&T where it can really dictate where they go from here. It can really kind of dictate everything, because the one thing I have learned, this fan base can go this way or that way really fast based on <laughs> what happened on the field. Like they, they expect a lot out of their Aggies. And I, I, I'm pretty sure head coach uh, Brown knows that as well. Um, anything before you want to get out of here, uh, before we uh, let you go, uh, I know you got to get your game face on for, <laughs> for Aggie Eagles. Like this is a big deal, man. This is a big game other than, uh, other than Geo. Like it feels like this is the one that they talk about on campus. Uh, anything you want to say to Aggie nation? Well, let, let me say this. I, I think, and I can't, I don't want to speak for North Carolina A&T State University, but Des, you know, you've been tremendous. We appreciate the partnership with TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. I see how this thing is growing and where you're going. I can relate to it. So I, I, I appreciate the partnership and it really excited about the post post game show. Like I'm super excited about this because I mean, if to your point, the Aggie fan base is rabid, and that's why we wanted to do something like this because we wanted the Aggies to express uh, whether they uh, liked something or if they didn't like something. We yep. want to hear it all, and we will address it as long as it's respectful. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be filtering uh, <laughs> <laughs> backstage filtering comments and stuff as they come in and out. So Aggies, please, you know, watch the tongue, be be polite with your with your opinions on whatever might be good or bad. Uh, right. But I'll be screening to make sure that <laughs> the the good stuff can get onto the uh, onto the screen. So once again, Aggie Eagle Classic in Charlotte at Bank of America Stadium this Saturday. We got you covered here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Six thirty pregame with Al Swan and Donald Ware. Uh, 7 o'clock kickoff. You can listen to it on Sirius XM, three, channel 386 in the triad. You can listen to it on the light, 1400 AM, 103.5 FM. Or again, just pull your phone out, a couple clicks, go to SpackRoadSportsRadio.com. Just click the play button on the main player. You can hear everything from the pregame, the full game, and we'll probably run the post-post game audio there as well. So um, I know you got to get out of here. Appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, Donald Ware, voice of the Anti-Aggies. Uh, anytime, Des. Appreciate you. Coming up, a real quick preview, Panthers-Falcons week one in the NFL. Got Will McFadden uh, from Believe in Panthers coming on to tell us a couple of things about the Falcons we may not know as we enter week one of the NFL season here in 2023. Back in a bit, Franchise Players, WWBG, 1470 AM. Franchise players are often referred to as the face of the face. Welcome back here as we round third base here on Franchise Players for Friday, September the 8th, 2023. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. Every Friday, the TGI Friday lineup from Tobacco Road, you can hear it on WWBG, 1470 AM in the Guilford County, Greensboro area. You can hear Franchise Players in Forsyth County uh, at 6 p.m. every Friday uh, during football season on WTOB, 980 AM and 96.7 FM. I'm playing this music because I want more people to be more aware of, to me, probably the best show on television right now, which is Winning Time, the rise of the Lakers uh, dynasty in the 80s. They're actually in season two, and at the moment they're in the 82 NBA Finals against the 76ers, but the acting is fantastic. The, the episode from last week where Paul Westhead gets fired finally, I think Jason Siegel should get an uh, Emmy for his performance in that 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 uh, episode. So, And I keep seeing the writer of the book it's based off of, Jeff Perlman, on Twitter, pleading for people to watch it so that they can get a season three so we can actually get to the mid-80s Lakers-Celtics runs uh, with each other. 
perfect casting, perfect pacing. It's a great show. It's on HBO Max. If you're a sports fan, if you're an NBA fan, if you're a Lakers and Celtics fan, go check it out. Uh, Sunday, though, 1 o'clock p.m. is week one of the NFL season, and we've got a little rivalry matchup, drive down 85. We got the Panthers taking on the Atlanta Falcons. So who better to bring on than my uh, my brethren from uh, from Believe, Brian Giffen, who was with Believe. He's moved on to bigger and better things. He is now the new voice of the Citadel, and you'll be able to hear him this Saturday in their home opener. And Will McFadden, who uh, is uh, hosting the Believe and uh, Falcons podcast for Believe for your third year, second year? Yes, sir. So we're, we're OGs, man. Like, I... I I, I just <laughs> off air. I've been here. This is my fourth year <laughs> with Believe starting right now. So uh, welcome, gentlemen, to the program. Um, I wanted to do a thing where I wanted you guys to give me, as a Panther fan, a couple of tidbits about the Falcons that Panther fans may not be aware of as we step into Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Because we, I know a lot of Panther fans are looking at it like, oh, barbecue chicken. We're about to go in here, about to do this. Like, <laughs> we're about, we're about, Brian Burns going to get signed, all this stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, but there's gotta we're, we're missing something. So I wanna I wanna figure out what's something we're not thinking about that you feel like is a strength of the Atlanta Falcons going into not just this game but this season. Um, Brian, I'll let you go first here. Uh, give me real quick something you can think of with the Atlanta Falcons going into 2023 that you feel really good about that maybe the national media is not covering or Panther fans aren't aware of as we go into this game Sunday on Fox. You know, I don't know if it's something everybody's not aware of, but uh, I think it gets discounted and underrated a little because over the years, the way the team has performed, and, you know, with the exception of a couple of years, 16, 17, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I really think it's an obvious statement to make, but the Bijan Robinson draft pick, and then you add that to how productive Tyler Algier was, it really, it comes down, of course, to number nine, and does he get the ball spread around, and does he get it to the right people, and there's so many things that are break-related to in football, where, especially at that level, where athletically everybody's so evenly matched, there's just a lot of things that have to go right, but I think the running back room is going to be a, a bigger, bigger strength than ever. And it's obviously, it obviously has to be with a guy that is so young in his career. Will, what do you think? What's something uh, out there? What's, what comes top of mind to you when you think about this game, a strength of the Falcons that maybe the Panthers press and fans aren't really uh, following or paying attention to? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one on the defensive side of the ball. And, and it's something that it's maybe the biggest 180 that I have done from going into this offseason to right now going into this game. And and that is going to be the defensive line and, and kind of the pass rush that this front seven, I think, is going to be able to generate. And I say front seven because these linebackers are going to be very involved in the pass rush. They brought in Cade Nellis, who had seven sacks last year and kind of a breakout year for the Saints. Troy Anderson, obviously uber athletic and kind of a similar mold to Cade Nellis. Um, and so... I think that given the investment on the defensive line and the size and kind of the physicality with players like David Onyemata, Bud Dupree, Calais Campbell, you're going to see a totally different Falcons defensive front than I think uh, Panthers fans are used to. And, you know, given some of the questions that I have about uh, Carolina's offensive line, I kind of think that that's going to be a sneaky area where the Falcons, if they do win this game, I think it looks a little bit, the box score at least looks a little bit like, you know, five tackles for loss, maybe two sacks, a lot of pressures, like something like that, I think is a, an area that if Atlanta wins their path to victory gets a lot easier. And and I like that matchup in this game. And that's something that I did not expect myself to be saying kind of uh, in, in January or February, because 
basically <laughs> the Falcons pass rush has been non-existent uh, for over a decade now. <laughs> yeah, this is John Abraham, I believe, right? Dwight Freeney. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. yeah, you're going back. Um, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not as down on the uh, Panthers' offensive line as others because, to me, I look at it like – it's really the pre- the national media pulled out four plays, <laughs> like out of three games. <laughs> and, and three of those had Icky Aquano doing something he wasn't supposed to do. And a lot of it, too, we were talking about it on Believe in Panthers, actually. Last year might have been a little bit of an illusion in terms of how we graded that offensive line by the end of the year because we were running so much. Like we were running the ball 30, 35, 40 times a game. And some of those games in the end with Steve Wilkes as our interim head coach. So Icky didn't have to pass block as much. Plus, a lot of the points got placed on the quarterbacks we had, you know, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, right? You know, holding the ball too long, that kind of thing. PJ Walker. So maybe some of the uh, inconsistencies with the Panthers' offensive line got glossed over because of PFF ratings and all that kind of thing. Because they got the blame was placed elsewhere, or it was just like, ah, oh, it was probably Matt Rule. He, he had something to do. <laughs> so like, we didn't. Right. Really- but, but now I'm looking at the line. I'm like, I'm not too worried about the line because another thing, too, the Panthers literally they didn't run any plays <laughs> like in preseason. Like they literally told us uh, in week one. And my fan base, the Panther fan base, is the worst when it comes to listening because Frank Wright told us. <laughs> he literally told us, we're not running anything. We're, we're pretty vanilla. We're going to stay this way. I'll, I'm willing to take a couple punches in the mouth. So Atlanta has no idea what we're doing week one. And they literally stuck to the plan for the whole preseason and did nothing. So we the report on the Panthers, we have no idea what our offense is. We don't know what they're going to run. <laughs> like we really don't. We don't know if it's run first, if it's RPO. We don't we don't know what they're doing. I mean, we know what Frank Wright has done in the past. Um right. tell me tell me your concern level regarding having to defend Bryce Young. And I say that meaning both of you guys are from the South. You're in SEC country. You saw what he did at Alabama. Uh, he seems like the type that's never rattled, regardless of his size and the talk and all that other stuff. How concerned are you about having to defend him? Because it feels like he's one of those, like, uh, he's not going to like take off for 150 yards on the ground or anything like that. But he seems like, even though he's smaller than the typical NFL quarterback, he's also kind of slippery. I've seen him kind of look like he's supposed to be down. And he slips out and he throws a 20-yard dart down the, down the, uh, the field to somebody. What are your what are your concern levels with with Bryce and where would you rank him in terms of quarterback starting quarterbacks in the NFC right now? Brian, you want to go first? It doesn't matter. We'll take it. <laughs> All righty. Um, I do think that uh, offensively for Carolina, like Bryce Young is is actually the thing that I would be most confident in as a Panthers fan. Like I I think that based on at least what I've seen in the preseason from him, he looks very much like the same player we saw in or at Alabama. And that's exactly what you want when a guy is transitioning to the next level is, is you just look for them to be the same and then you build from there. But if they can just kind of come in and function in the way that you saw and envisioned them kind of when during that whole draft process, then that is a great place to start from. And there was specifically a, a play, I think in the second preseason game for uh, Carolina where there's they have a screen drawn up which as you mentioned as like that's very simple it's just hey we're just wide receiver screen want to see what you can do with it and the defense reads it really well pretty much blows it up and and in that situation because of how it's blocked like Bryce Young has a really quick decision he has to make he either has to try to force it in there or get rid of it and and kind of ground it at the feet of the receiver otherwise he's going to get sacked because they have really no help in there to 
to protect him. Yeah. And he makes that decision very quickly right at the snap and dirts it at the receiver's feet. And I was like, for a rookie in their in their second preseason game to kind of be able to make that read really quickly, yeah, it's a simple play, but that's not necessarily a simple connection for his brain to make that quickly, given all the pressure that it, he probably feels. I would. So yeah. I think that Bryce Young has shown me, even though it's just the preseason, like I trust that he's going to be the same cat that he was at Alabama. And that guy was really, really good. So he is, when the Panthers offense is on the field, like I, I know that this is obvious, all eyes are going to be on Bryce Young. But like I'm going to be watching him because he actually does scare me a little bit, even though it's going to be his first start in the NFL. Where would you rank them in the uh, in the conference in terms of this in the conference? Okay, or so conference, we're talking. The, the, I'm sorry, the, the, no, no, the division. Okay. The division, yeah, um, <laughs> whew, I mean, there is like if he is that player that we saw in Alabama, I would feel confident putting him at number one. I don't. I think that's tough, um, just because we haven't seen it yet, talent wise. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put him at three because I can't put him over Desmond Ritter yet. <laughs> um, I just I can't do that. You're not going to get me to do that. Uh, so I'll, I'll put him at I'll put him at three. He's above whatever Tampa has. Um, so yeah, but I, I think he has a chance by the end of this year to be the number one in the division. Brian, what are your thoughts? Um, your thoughts on Black Young? Are you concerned about the Falcons' ability to be able to make sure he doesn't do a Russell Wilson third and seventeen and scramble around and <laughs> complete it like the <laughs> like Wilson? intended to used to do. I don't know if he's going to be able to still continue to do it. And where would you rank him in the NFC in terms of starting quarterback or NFC South, I should say? I'll start with the rankings. I mean, uh, you've, uh, I would say based just on his ability and, and what appear to be really solid instincts and, you know, the obvious athleticism and all the intangibles, despite the size, I mean, you'd ha I would have to say two or three. The one thing is you guys know, I mean, there's so much it's not only instinct, but the adjustment types of things like Will was talking about a couple of moments ago, the old adage about the game continues to speed up as you move up. In. And there's adjustments that rookies have to make as they go along. It's really so hard to say based on seeing him in a preseason, you know, the one we've certainly seen guys that have come out of the box guns blazing. And then eventually people figure them out, not unlike baseball players to a degree as people make adjustments, but Honestly, as far as it goes, his ability to improvise, and as you just kind of described aptly with the Russell Wilson comparison earlier in his career particularly, I think that's what makes him so dangerous. You've really got to find a way to keep him in at least some kind of a box where you can prevent him from beating you. And how you do that, <clears throat> by the way, the point that uh, Will made about the defensive line too, I think the leadership of Calais Campbell can't be discounted, but that's another mm -hmm. point. But I think that's the big thing is just – Finding a way to contain and not let him beat you with that ability, and after that, I you know I think that you've got a pretty good chance to win the game, based especially on the fact that it's his first start. I will say That's this just opinion, of course. I will say this as I get you guys out of here because we're up against the time uh, for the show for tonight. But um, I do not, I don't buy the whole Saints Kool Aid that the national media is drinking. That they're all like, the Saints are going to win this division. The Saints are the oldest team in this division for starters. Their average age is like twenty eight or something like that. Uh, they didn't get younger, bringing in Calais Campbell and some of these guys coming in. And I don't right. trust their quarterback situation, to be honest. I, I just don't. Derek Carr, decent enough quarterback, but hasn't had a lot of success in terms of winning divisions and playoff games. Jameis Winston is his backup. And uh, the coach, uh, Dennis Allen, mm -hmm. he has a losing record as a head coach. And a lot of that was with Derek Carr, <laughs> with the Raiders. So it's uh, <laughs> That's a great point. Everyone's like, they've got Alvin Kamara. they got Michael Thomas. They're never <laughs> <laughs> they're never they're yeah. like they're always hurt so it's like 
I kind of look at you guys, the Falcons. I look at the Falcons and the Panthers because Tampa Bay, to me, they're in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. Like they're, yeah, they're intentionally starting Baker Mayfield. <laughs> so that kind of tells you like, <laughs> what their thoughts are for this season. I think they're looking at Caleb Williams or Drake May or something like that to kind of jumpstart everything. And who knows, they might have a fire sale by the time we get halfway through the season with Mike Evans and some others. I know you guys would probably love to have him. I know we would love to have yeah. Mike Evans. Any, anything uh, happens to uh, a <laughs> uh, receiver in this division and Tampa Bay is going to get raided yes. quickly. <laughs> Quickly, we're all sitting by the phones. No kidding. Come on, come on. So uh, I'm going to get <laughs> here. Uh, Will McFadden from the Believe Podcast Network and and Brian Giffen, who uh, is now the new voice of the Citadel. So you can definitely check him out uh, on Citadel uh, Radio Broadcast there. We're out of time. Uh, it's another episode of Franchise Players. We'll be back next week with a brand new edition. More to talk about. We'll chop up the Panthers and what they did this past week. Uh, we'll, we'll even get into, like I uh, talked about with Dimitri uh, earlier in the show, we got Coach Prime versus Coach Rule on Saturday, Nebraska and Colorado. Who knew that would be a huge game week two of the college football season? We'll get into that as well. So uh, we'll be back next week, franchise players. Uh, stick around. More coming up, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com.